I get the ball and I just like send it. Simple as that. You know, you got the assist on the ball, but I thought he really played well in every aspect of the game. Well, I'm just like used to picking up my hand and looking at field. Like, best game as a Husky. Are you pulling? It builds mental toughness. It's confidence. It's doing the hard workouts. We're talking about practice, man. Week after week, effectively. Brand new Lamborghini, a cop car. With a pistol on my hip like I'm a cop. When we played them, we were, not, we were like kind of nervous. We were just kind of like pass, plus team. Okay. Like, we stay positive. Show for them to do what they did today was tremendous. Like absolutely tremendous. The first round, there's a lot of nerves and there's a lot of like, you know, anxiety. And then tonight, I thought we settled in and played really well. Oh, good for you. I got a big drama hold of honey. Going for nothing. I'm ready to air it out on all these I can see I'm running. Start my mom. She hit me on FaceTime just to check up on me and my brother. I'm really the baby. She know that the young son. We've had a lot of great guys groups. You know, they didn't. They've won state championships, regions, regions, championships. But this group is one of the best ever. I've been killing it in front of her before the age of two. And I'll kill another number two. Before I let another number do something to you. The reason we put this schedule together was to see if we could compete with these teams, you know. Brooksy, if I want to explain it to you, I would. They've done studies, you know. 60% of the time, it works every time. That doesn't make sense. Promise you gonna squeeze me. Better let me go the day you need me. I mean, in all facets, from a result standpoint, from a And I think when we went down to TCA, we lost on a long throw in one goal and we competed, you know. First of all, excuse me, Brand new Lamborghini, the cop car. With a pistol on my hip like I'm a cop. Can't always control the outcome, but you can control how hard you compete. Yeah, and, and we that's compete. Right, that's right. And if our boys go in with that same sort of uh, approach, we'll be in the game. They need me. Welcome. We're broadcasting live here. Shovel Lake Public Radio. This is the Cedar Skier Podcast. Coming at you, 10,000 feet. Here we are, Leadville, Colorado. We are so excited to kick off. The new year, kind of. I think we celebrate kicking off a new year like five different times here. You got January 1. It's kind of a new year for everyone. Uh, Then our season, whenever it decides to end here in Leadville, May 30th or whatever, I I take a little break from skiing. And then when I come back, that's kind of the new season for Cedar Skier podcasting. Um, And then, of course, November, you know, this is the actual beginning of the year for FIS World Cup action. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. But, um, oh, we got Ajay, producer Ajay over there, uh, working hard, getting us with the new hip with it and wow intro music. Thank you, Ajay. What was that, by the way? Da Baby. 
where is the world headed? That's all I got to say. Da Baby. That was uh, intro music brought to you by Da Baby. And uh, actually, speaking of babies, my wife and I are now the proud parents of a baby. Uh, I don't know if cedarskier.com listeners knew that, but Novi Cedarquist was born August 25th, and she's been great. Angel baby. Uh, we we tried to get her on snow yesterday at 12 weeks old. <laughs> um, it, it didn't really work. She kind of got upset going in the backpack, but it's going to happen today. So it's going to happen today. Pumped about that. Uh, she, I will say that her upper body strength from day one was above average, as were, was her aerobic capacity. Um, so the doctors usually, she was born in Frisco. They got to, you know, put them on oxygen, all that. And she came out and like, wow, her oxygen's at 97 or 98. And I'm like, so they're going, what do those numbers even mean? 98 what? Percent something? Um, I didn't really understand, but like, no, this is just really crazy. She's, she's like very high. And uh, it was actually kind of this point of contention, but we brought her home and her oxygen numbers were still really high when the original person came with the oxygen. Cause you go to Leadville, you have a baby, they bring oxygen, supplemental oxygen for you. Just, you don't even have to ask for it. It just comes. And so this guy comes, but when they do come, they test her, uh, test your baby. And so her oxygen levels were still like 95, 96. He's like, wow, this is insane. Your baby is an aerobic monster what did you do like did you you must be a long distance skier someone who aspires visma ski classics hall of fame you know type uh, anders auckland right I'm, I'm guessing you're an anders auckland fan he actually said that to me in the room and i was like yes how did you know um no that didn't really happen but then we brought her to the actual appointment this doctor in leadville and she was kind of like i've been a doctor for 35 years um uh you need to put your baby on oxygen now pronto Anyway, Novi is doing great. She is, uh, I do believe she will be an aerobic monster. She's got good upper body strength. I make her do like 15 sit-ups every day, pull her up by her shoulders, make sure she doesn't have the bad Cedarquist shoulders popping out of the sockets. Um, We don't want that. So we do all our little exercises. Yesterday, last two days, it was daddy home alone with Novi. So that was kind of fun. Um, I survived. I'm here to say I'm alive. Ajay's over there. She's saying... She didn't get much sleep in the afternoon because baby was crying a little bit, unhappy. Actually, what happened, uh, we, we did music lessons, sang to her for a while, played on the piano, and uh, I tried to do the, the whole bottle feeding thing. That was that was a little rough, you know. Um, Novi was not thrilled about that. Shedding some tears, frustration, boiling over. Um, but but here in this household, as you can imagine, we're we're stubborn and we're disciplined. So we just kind of kept at it, kept at it, and finally she took the bottle, drank it, fell asleep, and away we went. Um, so that was Novi. If you're wondering where did we get that name Novi, that seems pretty crazy. Well, <clears throat> ties into our intro. We should probably get back to skiing. Novi McCabe, of course, the young gun. The American up-and-comer, University of Utah, NCAA All-American. She's going to be in the World Cup this opening weekend, period one. We're pretty excited. We're big-time fans. That's sort of the inspiration where we found that name. However, we were thrilled, not just by the kind of that sporty nature tied to a skier. Yes, that was maybe part of my motivation. Um, but also, Novi means new, and her middle name um, is Doris, which means gift, new gift. And she is our new gift. So there it is. Uh, Doris is also our grandma, so her great-grandma's name. Uh, we, were, we were thrilled to be able to kind of incorporate this cool name, meaning recognize someone in the family. 
And of course, Novi has a fan now built in for this first World Cup weekend. We're excited to set our alarms bright and early to follow it. So let's get to it. I just realized, Ajay, typing in the date for today, saving our episode. It's November 24th. That's my older brother's birthday. Happy birthday, Tom Cedarquist. How old are you now? See, 1988. Do the quick math. 33. Wow. 33. Get up there. Probably still, you know, he's probably got he's probably got a few more years to be shredding black diamonds, doing backcountry skiing and climbing rocks and shenanigans like that. But happy birthday to my older brother, November 24th. Let's hop into our topics, though, for today. First off, we got to get a quick weather report. What is happening up here at 10,000 feet? You know, here we are. Where, where is the snow? Well, I'll tell you where it is. It's in Leadville. We don't have a huge audience, but I think the dedication behind this audience, they come to the Cedar Skier podcast to find out if there's snow to be skied up in Leadville. I, I genuinely think there might be some people doing that. So quick, quick synopsis. I think we had a snowfall maybe late October, but um, I got on skis when I was in Park City when kind of the, those weird blizzards happened. I did, I did shuffle around the golf course up in Park City where we were staying. It wasn't really much of a ski at all, but, but just to say that I got on snow, definitely one of those. And then at the end of the month, um, I think I, I did some workout out on County Road 3. I was sort of bouncing between the first week of November, bouncing between County Road 3, Mining District Roads, not great, 150-meter hamster wheel, up and down, up and down, listening to the Jimmy Krupka podcast, trying to learn about alpine skiing. And um, that wasn't great. I, I scratched up my, my skis a little bit. Hadn't brought out any waxable ones even. I was just using my atomic fish scales, the yellow, uh, the yellow bright, you know, sun screamers. And, and they're wonderful. Uh, then I went over to Tennessee Pass, right where the trailhead is there, uh, Colorado Trail. It's a kind of a gradual railroad tra- uh, grade. Tried that out. That was kind of not my favorite style either. You couldn't really double pole it. It was not firm enough for that. Uh, sort of powdery sections. It, it was it, it was like 1985 skiing. I felt like where you're like you'd, you'd randomly stretch out really far in your striding and be like, "Wow, I'm cruising." And all of a sudden, you'd hit some section where you're like going nowhere. You're like, "Well, this is this is probably what Holman Colon was like in the 30s." Um, and I I did that hamster wheel about 300 meters, you know, for an hour and a half one Sunday. Then I discovered that Turquoise Lake. Uh, was holding snow really well. Was going on a bike ride in the afternoon, actually, and decided, I think I'm going to, you know, go around Turquoise Lake. Why not? Might be the end of the last time of the year, 55 degrees out. I come around the turn um, by, I always forget what the fish parking place is. It's it's after the, if you're going around the dam, going around, um, oh, what direction? So clockwise, going around clockwise, and is it Abe, old Abe? I don't know, the turn off down there somewhere. But anyway, I get to the bottom of the hill and there is snow and um, it's it's like, what the heck? I'm on my bike. I'm going, where, how am I going to get around this? How is there snow over here? It's been like 50 degrees five days in a row. And this isn't like melted snow. It's like soft, dry, perfect stuff. Um, so next morning went back, tried to double pull it. It was great. And then I did about 20, 20 hours of double pulling the next six days. Um, and I sort of hurt my calf, so I haven't been running much. It's kind of the state of training right now. It's been frustrating. I'm actually not really sure where my fitness is personally, to be honest, if we're going to divulge here, um, since I don't give out a lot of secrets via Strava or whatever, um, was in really great running shape 
late October and it was October 21st, went on a run, felt soreness in my calf and, and, and kind of just ran through it. It felt like one of those things where, yeah, it's sore. It must be tight. I thought it was tight actually from biking in the cold because I finished a bike ride the previous day. So let this be a lesson. This is all information. You can catalog it. If this happens to you. Um, I was biking. It was kind of cold. My calf sort of felt tight at the end. I didn't notice it during the ride, but when I got off, I was walking around going, oh man, maybe I just was kind of locked in a weird position for two hours and went running the next day on that soreness, thinking it would kind of work itself out. It actually was just getting worse as the run was going on. And I was like, well, I'm just going to finish this run. And about two minutes before I finished, felt a really weird kind of just like zing. Um, definitely kind of a higher end muscle tear, you know, not a full on muscle pull probably, but it was enough where I couldn't walk and was limping bad for four days bad limping eventually the limp went away yeah it probably took about a week for that limp to go away um and then and that pretty much relegated me to double pulling only i could bike on it which was weird that biking was all right but then by that time the weather was kind of bad so i think i've maybe biked like twice since that injury and this is october 22nd so i had to miss my running to made my donation to multiple road races this is what always happens why i never sign up for running races because something like this happens had an uphill race was going to do canceled had a trail race and fruta was going to do um 90 bucks down the drain very sad if you want to make that up donate cedar skier at gmail.com you can paypal us any amount of money and we will um use it to buy oatmeal and yogurt and peanut butter and you will prevent novi from starving okay so moving on though people don't want to hear about training and stuff the point is leadville um turquoise lake great snow and it's still great snow and i'm looking outside right today this morning here it's 5 30 a.m noticing there's a little layer on my deck which i don't know if i'm super thrilled about that um every time you feel like well you know there's a chance for a dusting that's when leadville dumps four inches on you and this is we need the snow so like more would be better but we need like a 20 inch you know blizzard this little stuff is kind of annoying because it just kind of ruins the quality to some degree until you get the cars to drive back over the the road it ruins the skiing that i was doing so it'll be interesting i'm sure up at turquoise if there's a half an inch here is probably two inches up there ah dang it don't know what i'm gonna do now um so snow is good though you can classic stride you can double pull once there's enough cars on there and that's kind of what we've been doing turquoise lake your weather report speaking of uh places to ski i saw on facebook grand mesa it looks great they're grooming stuff university of utah was there university of wyoming was there grand mesa university was there uh, a lot of skiers up there they said it was great conditions facebook pictures indicate the same thing i see a classic track i see what appears to be like piston bully groomed stuff a nice deck um probably not on all their trails but you know scales like road some other things uh it looks really good we were thinking about going up there as well and doing kind of a van trip um but i've got the new job now and kind of just want to be close and present to the station headquarters in case something comes in and uh so that's what prevented us from heading out to the mesa but this would be a if there was a time to make it your thanksgiving trip that'd be the place to go because uh, the other places are are failing right now west yellowstone not great they do have some snow some of our teams are up there i don't know why they went there summit Vail ski and snowboard kind of weird like th- this is what bothers me okay here's the first rant of the show okay hold on sip a coffee first then let me rant so first of all from like just a hassle financial standpoint 
when there's no snow in your training camp location, let's call it West Yellowstone this year, and that's 10 hours away, depending on where you are in Colorado, about 10, 11. Why are you spending all the money, getting all the hotel rooms, paying for food, get up there, travel, gas, everything? Gas is outrageous, right? Almost $4 a gallon. Driving all the way to West Yellowstone to pull off a camp, you're, you're going to be dry land training a lot, really poor skiing. I think you cancel, don't you? And and um, I guess if I was the coach of some place, I'd go, guys, like, you know, if we want to get on snow, yeah, we, we know actually there's places up in Leadville that's happening or Grand Mesa. That would have been 50 times better, you know, and, and you may. So here's the thing. Devil's advocate against me. It's a lot easier when you're the cedar skier. And you're flying solo, flying solo. Where's the Jason Derulo track? Ajay, you got that one ready? Pull it up. Okay. Um, when you're flying solo in the Cedar Skier Sprinter van, obviously this is all different, you know, and you don't have to deal with the logistics and having you know, 15 and 16 year olds, um, where are they going to stay? What are they going to eat? How are they going to get there? I, I get it. But you're, you're, you're doing a lot of that headache work to get to West Yellowstone. So I think, yeah, book your hotel rooms and, um, whatever that little town, Cedar Ridge, over on the other side of the mesa or on the, the reverse side, you know, drive your 40 minutes up to the up to the ridge every day. Okay, do that. Or if you're if you're hardcore and you got a small enough group, do something crazy. Yeah, go get some get some tents, get some camping gear, go camp up on the top of the mesa. It's like 30 degrees overnight. Like you can pull it off for a few days. Do do two or three days. Right? Maybe you don't do your whole week. Or maybe you get on snow for a few days, maybe you come back, do your dry line training in summit or in um, in Minturn, whatever. You know, I just think it's stupid. Like you could have saved a ton of money. So that's the first thing is it just is weird. Why would you travel 10 hours to a place with less snow than what you got here? Uh, be creative. The other thing is Nordic skiers are the, you know, of, of a lot of the sports, we're kind of the, the people who are all green and like we want to promote that eco-friendly, got to save the environment, blah, blah, blah. And then we go out and we travel more than anyone. And a lot of times it's stupid especially in America. Now, sometimes it's necessary. You have to fly over for a World Cup. I get that. But man, we, we seem so dumb. Like we, we will send a team of eight athletes to Germany in August to spend four days taking pictures uh, for Instagram of, of them skiing around a tunnel. You know, like I think, I think um, there's two ways you could go here, right? First of all, there is snow availability on a few glaciers here in North America, whether you, you know, get in touch with Canada, get in touch with Alaska, if you really need to get on snow. Second, um, if you're going to go to the snow tunnel, is your fitness getting bolstered more than um, doing really hard workouts, dry land here in America? I don't think so. And, and if so, if you're going to fly to Europe, go hardcore, get up to Austria, get up on a real glacier, spend two weeks there, do some real skiing. Don't do loops around the uh, tunnel, write a blog, take some pics and let everyone know how amazingly esoteric you are by, you know, doing the crazy unique stuff. You're skiing in a tunnel. You like skiing so much. You're willing to ski around a tunnel. You know what? Show us you like skiing so much that you're willing to ski up and down an ungroomed gravel road, right? That's kind of coming back to the same thing here. I'm not trying to say, well, you know, praise the cedar skier here. Okay. But, but there's a level of toughness that like and and dedication i guess i should say where those pictures of you in the tunnel i i think we look at that and go wow that's dedication man okay they're, they're like packing up and flying over to germany to ski around a tunnel in august hey, that's dedication um i don't know to me that seems like the cost benefit ratio is really out of whack from an um eco or from an environmentally friendly stance so 
It, it is. It's, it's bothersome a little bit to me, I think, that, you know, people make jokes about how John Kerry is, wants to be at the fore of this environmental flying, and then he's flying around in jets, you know, and there's kind of that hypocritical thing. And whatever. Let's not get into that. I, I do think, though, if you're an athlete in Nordic skiing, you're not like a, a mil- multimillionaire, most of, uh, most of them. Okay, so you are kind of having to be a little bit more of a um let's let's call it you know a fred becky kind of dirt bagging around getting by uh, chasing after the the pursuit of the goal of of being the best skier you can no matter what it takes so traveling around in the little van you know spending a night in a van <laughs> sleeping sleeping in someone's basement so you can be in a place where there's snow like really minimalistic and and if that was happening, people were minimalistically traversing across the country to get on snow. Totally different story. But when we are like sending, you know, SMS athletes who already have paid 40 grand a year to go to a private ski school and now they're flying over to Germany to spend a week in a tunnel and flying all their gear, all that stuff, you know, it's like that doesn't really make me want to like give you money to that cause, you know, like. One of your trips for five days there could have supported David Norris to be on the U.S. ski team for a full year. I'd rather have David Norris on the ski team for a full year, you know. And and um, so anyway, that's kind of one thing. And and this did bring up actually a thought in my head where, you know, listening to Matt Wickham talk, watching the team structure, uh, Bridger Ski Foundation. I was in Park City for a week, wrote an article. It's up on cedarskier.com. You should read it. Uh, it's kind of fun, a little bit dramatic, but what, what, whatever, you know, I'm a writer. I've got to make it dramatic. Uh, anyway, a thought I had was the freedom and ability, if you are on your own flying solo, to be so much more efficient in travel, training, cost, et cetera. Um, and balancing that with the difficulty of being on your own where you don't have support from a team or a coach kind of telling you what to do, guiding you along the way. And I was kind of wondering, like, huh, I wonder if there, you know, it'd be interesting if there's some sort of metric way to really say what is the most valuable. I think, obviously, if, you, if, if money is no object, it's better to have a team. Because as humans, we thrive on community. We, we really actually need that. So let's just say you had an unlimited supply of money and you could do everything you needed to to meet all individual needs for a team as they travel for training, a World Cup, or whatever. Then a team is best. Um, because then, you know, the, the, the hassles um, that are often financially based but are – I shouldn't say financially based. They're based in differences of needs for athletes, whether it's training or comfort or whatever, opinion. Those things uh, end up, they could be met if money wasn't an object. You know, if resources aren't an issue, you can do everything for everybody. And then you benefit from the team side of having multiple um, athletes pushing you to get out the door and have better training. So money is no object, team is better. But that's not a reality, really, for, for most groups. So yeah, he's kind of coming back to what I just mentioned. You know, if you're on your own, you can get on snow cheaply, easily. You can do the workouts you want to do. Um, you know, every day I can get to turquoise twice a day, do as long a sessions as I need to. And, um, you know, I ran to the high school coach there and he's like, oh, it's not worth it for us to come here. And I'm kind of like, wait, what? He's, you know, I can't get 15 year olds. It's not as easy as, hey, get in your car, drive over to turquoise. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a good point. You know, like if you have to manage a whole team, getting everyone there, taking care of their food issues, all that, the rest issues. Where are they going to stay? What are they going to do? 
You can't do a whole lot. But when you're just Fred Becky and you're sleeping in your sleeping bag on the side of the road and that's fine for you and you are filling up water in McDonald's, grabbing ketchup packets and using that as your energy gels for a hike, you know, and I'm bringing that to skiing. You know, when you're traveling with the Cedars gear and you're heating up your oatmeal at a gas station and grabbing stevia packets from there, right? Um, kind of the same concept, right? You can get by. You know what you need. You're super cheap. You're super efficient. Your carbon footprint is tiny. You know, if I were to receive like $5,000 for a season, I wouldn't even know what to do with that. You know, like I'd just be like, that's so much money. Don't even know what to do. You know, I guess I'd buy skis. You know, because those are getting kind of expensive now. And I'd, I'd buy skis and I'd buy grinds, you know, and um, and that would be that. But like a travel budget. What? You know, like, uh, man, um, I don't need anything for hospitality for staying, you know, and I've even thought that for Visma. If I wanted to start a Visma team like, no, we're going to work the connections. We're going to work. The, the, we're going to work the phones. Uh, well, let's get in touch with a ski club in Oslo, ski club in Lillehammer, ski club in Trondheim. Let's make a connection. Let's develop a relationship. Let's, um, let's see if they're willing to host us for a week, for two weeks, for four weeks, moving around various families. They, we can reciprocate when they, if they want to come here, blah, blah, blah. We're going to race for them. That's how I do the Visma thing. Hospitality costs would be zero. You know, like you, we're not going to spend any money, uh, you know, unless we absolutely have to. And, and and I'm speaking somewhat from having done that, again, as an individual. I didn't even do much for a relationship. I was just ski coach University of Maine, reached out to one club. They came back. We got five families who want to host you. Come on over. We're going to do everything for you. That, that trip cost me like $900, and 550 of it was my flight ticket. The next 100 was getting my skis over. Like, I basically spent $300 there. Actually, I probably spent $100 on Norwegian sweaters, you know, so – there's a way to do it when you're by yourself. And um, I'm just kind of wondering, like, where's the strength of the community is great. It's not a bad thing. But at what point does that cost become somewhat hypocritical, especially if you're really going to be super greed? Like meeting up with your buddies in Canmore for Frozen Thunder. Like I saw some people collect, you know, from the east, from the Midwest getting out there. It's like, man. That's got, it's got to be expensive for them to do all the, go through all the COVID protocols, fly in, bring their gear. They're going to be there for like four days, whatever it is. Maybe even if they're going to be there for a week, you know, like that's nuts, you know, just to get on, on a little loop of snow. Now, we've had a hard year. So some of those teams, you know, the, the Bridger Ski Foundation, I think that was a really big deal for them to, to race. And that's maybe a little different. If you're chasing races, you kind of got to do what you got to do to get to the race. But I just think like people aren't really – resilient enough to just be willing and creative to go, this is what I've been, these are the cards I've been dealt and I'm going to get fit with these cards. I think we need more of that from skiers, not like, oh, this is the protocol that's been done for 40 years. So we better fly over here. We better do our time in the tunnel. We better do a little stint in a camp here. Uh, there's so many camps. Um, and so I don't know, it's kind of an interesting thing. And I think our nation, it's, it's struggled Ge- geographically. We're so spread out. So I feel for the guys, you know, Chris Grover, Matt Wickham, where they have to try to like, okay, yeah, but how, how do we build team community with the U S ski team? That's a tough question to answer. I don't, I don't really know what the answer is. So maybe, maybe this, that's why they're like, now we kind of have to prioritize flying in for these camps. They're a big deal. I know there's a lot of them, uh, but we just kind of got to do it. <laughs> Maybe that's the logic. I, I don't know. Uh, I'm sure that's part of it where, yeah, and that is big, meeting up regularly enough. So, well, there was my rant. That was, that was a lot longer than I thought it would go. Sorry. I hope that was 
some of those edifying. I've, I've got a few more rants in me that we'll probably get to, but is, hopefully it's, you know, I'm exuding enthusiasm for the sport that I care, right? All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be back, Secret Scare Podcast. Let's take a look at, um, when we come back, um, how I know that I'm not training enough. That's what we're going to touch on. Cedar Scare Podcast, cedarscare.com, and Shovel Lake Public Radio. Thank you for being with us. But they are who we thought they were, and we let them off the hook. First of all, skis need wax. Uh, Boy, that escalated quickly. Cedar Scare Podcast is brought to you by the United States Skeeple Company. Still the best skateboard company in the world. And you can get in touch, cedarskier at gmail.com, if you want to get some custom-made ski poles and, um, and look just like us with our cedarskier.com ski poles. Pretty sweet. All right, so where were we? Oh, yeah, I know I'm not training enough. Here's why. I was listening to the Visma Ski Classics podcast the other day. Max Novick, Max Novick was on. Um, I believe he's a young Swede. Max Novak, uh, he won the young skier bib, whatever that one was for Visma. Man, I really got to do my Visma ski classics research, I guess. But the thing that stuck out with Novak, and I, I try to listen to kind of whenever they have an athlete or a coach. Well, I guess I, I sort of listen to all the podcasts. They're fun. Uh, Timo Vertanen, the host, is pretty cool. He's actually reached out to me um, in emails before. I should say responded. He hasn't reached out to me. I've reached out to him. Uh, and he, he was excited that I was excited about endurance skiing and the Vismas and all that. And so put up one of my articles, which is pretty cool. Um, and and Timo's, Timo, Timo, Timo is great. Uh, he, he does these profiles where he kind of asks the same kind of cookie cutter formation questions that he'll do. So he, he talks a little bit about their training. He's, he's always excited about the training. If you listen to the show, this is how he sounds. So tell me about your training. He talks just like that. And he just says the word training and he emphasizes it so much. And so frequently you're like, I think Tamia wants to know how these guys train. Uh, and Tamia himself was a world record holder for like 24 hours, and and he roller skied across Finland like he's no joke. So he gets it. But then he talks about the training. Then he'll go back and he'll walk them through every single race. Like, okay, let's walk through each race. And he just says, you're like, so what about this race? And what about this race? And then the next week he went here, you know. And then they just walk through the whole race. And then at the end, they talk about training again. And then he usually asks them some questions like, why don't you have a girlfriend? And what do you do in your spare time? Which is always fun. Emil Pearson, the top skier of the Vismas, he was talking about how he doesn't have a girlfriend and he hunts moose in his spare time. And it was like totally BA, which is pretty sweet. Pearson, by the way, he trains kind of more how you'd probably expect, you know, a mix of lifting, lots of double pulling. Um, you know, he does hard interval sessions, doesn't care too much about roller skiing. Uh, you know, he's probably doing, you know, between 18 and 25 hours a week, depending on, on the, the block that he's in. Okay. And, and all these guys, none of them are like, you know, Tamo again, he tries to like dissect, what is your training like? Like what kind of things you do when you're training? And it's, is it biking? Is it running? And they're all, all of them. It's kind of like, well, I double pull a ton. None of them can speak English, which also kind of adds to it. I feel like where, you know, if they were speaking their native tongue they would probably be able to extrapolate these ideas much deeper but they can't really do that so they just kind of like uh lots of roller skiing lots of double pole uh yeah that's uh four hours a day 
double pull. You're like, oh my gosh. And they just, they talk about with that demeanor too, where they're kind of like, like you, you can tell they've probably double pulled four hours a day the last 780 days in a row, where they're like kind of seeming a little bit tired maybe <laughs> from the one technique for that long. Um, so a lot of them don't really, you know, they talk about, oh yeah, sometimes I go out and bike for an hour and a half or two hours in the afternoon if I want to. There's a few of them that like, you know, running's really important. Anders Auckland kind of came from a running background, you know, so they try to get their running fitness up. Um, do you do, do you do skiing with or running with poles? Yeah, sometimes blah, blah, blah. But you know, they don't give away a ton of their training secrets and there's not, maybe there's not really too much to give away, but Max Novak hit me because one, he doesn't lift weights at all, which is pretty strange. I think for an upper body based double polar, I, I, I think that's a little bit unique. If no other reason you would think two reasons, I would think, how about just mixing it up? Like, you know, doing something different in training is always good. And the other thing is these guys really need to work on their sprint finish, which is such a power explosion thing. You would think they would need to kind of hone in on, on lifting more, especially now. Um, so Novak doesn't do that. He sort of relies on having really incredible technique. And they talked about that, how this year was a big breakthrough. His technique is just perfect. Tame just couldn't, he was just gushing over Max's improved technique and how he displayed it in this roller ski event. Um, and et cetera. So I guess that is one thing where like we sort of think double pulling is such a simple thing that like technique wouldn't matter maybe as much as the other things, but it might matter more when you're repeating it so often for so long, like a, a minute change could mean um, massive results in, in cycle length and therefore speed. So Novak is relying on that, but he's also relying on just insane training, I guess. When he answered the, what is your training like? He said five hours of double pulling every day. <laughs> and I don't think I've ever double pulled like straight for more than two hours and 30 minutes in my life. Once, maybe. I don't know. Uh, coffee. Hold on. Ajay, do you want to weigh in on this? We're live. We're on the air. And, um, yeah, so he basically, he double pulls all the time. He does do some biking. Um, and Tameo Brightly was like, well, you, you really like training. He's like, well, yeah, I don't know. And he mentioned his teammate. I can't remember his name now who likes it even more. And, um, you know, trains twice a day. And he's more, he's more maybe in the cedar skier spirit of, you know, mixing it up. He goes on bikes, rides, he trains, trains twice a day. Visma's usually, they only do one session a day, uh, but he does twice. So Novak is, you know, he's just all in on this skiing. He seems a little bit to me going into this season, like he has a lot to prove because he was a bit of a disappointment last year in his own words, disappointed with himself after coming off being the new, the young skier of the year. Um, didn't have good results. He, he improved his technique, like I said, and kind of killed in the roller ski season, like was demolishing people, clearly gaining confidence. He's obviously training like a madman. He's doing these five hour sessions and, um, you know, they mentioned some interval ones where it was like eight by five K, you know, (laughs) at race pace. It's like, that's a 40 K. He's like, Oh yeah. Just like a rolling start three minutes rest. Um, on a roller ski loop too, I think nonetheless, you know, some of these crazy workouts. So he's, he's clearly really, really fit. Um, and, and hungry. Pearson was young, 
kind of really just ripped apart the Visma circuit this year, won a lot of races, kind of dominated for the yellow bib, the overall spot. And I, I think Novak is, he's kind of my, I, I can't really say underdog, but he's sort of my selection to win the overall this year. But it's a really risky pick, I do feel, because I think there's something about him, like mentally, he's not really mature yet. Now, And he did say in this podcast, the huge breakthrough, aside from the technique thing, was he won a race and he came back the next week and won again. We're talking roller ski now. He said, that was huge. I learned how to win and then win again. I do think that's a, a massive mental breakthrough that has to happen where you go into a race, you know what it's like to win, you know kind of how to do it. You have this extra confidence of like, oh yeah, I do belong here. I can win. Uh, that That is something where especially in skiing where the margins are so slim um, and we don't always really realize it. Just going in with the mindset of like, not, whoa, I'm on the world cup. This is amazing. And the, and it's already, I've I kind of accomplished that end goal, but going like, oh, I could actually win this race. And in fact, I have won it. I won last week and I won again. Um, I think that is the thing probably lacking from the American um, ski, especially on the men's side right now is like that kind of just, no one's really been the Lewis and Clark to go out and, trailblaze enough um so novak sort of on that that scale where it's like okay maybe maybe he will have a breakthrough year in the winter now where he goes no i i demolished you guys i'm training harder than you are and i'm fit i'm recovering from it not just like i'm you know (laughs) hashing stuff out but like i'm training long and hard and responding to it and and i'm winning and now i know how to win and have that confidence so i don't know i tease the segment by saying and I, I know I'm not training enough now. I, I don't know. I, I don't know how you do that, man. Like how you roller ski five hours a day. Uh, double polling is is nuts. I don't th- I don't think he does like any skate skiing either. I think maybe he was Novak was the one who said that. Um, I, I don't know if that's totally necessary. Like I'm a little more of the belief that like if you can go out and do a two hour roller ski session, that's that that'll probably be fine for like a three hour race, especially if you're a regular old citizens racer. You know, if you're getting a little more specific, my, my, my real thumb actually is more like if you can ski erg for an hour and post, I I have to look at my numbers that I, I did that kind of was the breakthrough for me where I, I I skied a certain power, you know, for an hour straight on a skier. And then afterwards I could double pull kind of pretty much anything, you know, 95% of most courses will say. And do it for, you know, kind of as long as I needed to. And I think it was this combination of like, you can just straight double pull for that long, but you combine that with some level of running aerobic capacity. I think that's actually more the baseline. If you're listening to this podcast and you're like, man, how do those people double pull that long? I think it's like you need a baseline aerobic capacity and then you kind of need that mind numbing upper body endurance. If you can do an hour on the skier go, you're probably, you're probably there. You know, people don't, people think like there's a huge difference between double pulling for 20 minutes and double polling for an hour and there is but there's not really that much of a difference going from an hour to like two hours it's just like how strong you are mentally and are you getting staying hydrated and have enough fuel and stuff like that okay next on my agenda wanted to talk a little bit about ruka coming up and to sort of prep myself for this I was listening to the Faster Skier podcast. I have a few comments here. Devin Kershaw on the show. They've got a new host. Now I can't think of his name. Doesn't really matter um, because uh, I think I think first of all that show was a little bit disappointing, and it's been a little bit disappointing. The Devin Kershaw show has disappointed me kind of since Tour to Ski early last year. Tour to Ski was great. They were at their best. Jason and Devin were, and they are at their best when Jason is 
um, throwing out questions on behalf of the common man, behalf of the, the citizen racer, the World Cup fan, like you and I. When Jason is throwing those out there and Devin is providing World Cup insight that only he can, then the show is awesome and it runs well. And I can tolerate the one or two cuss words that come along. This most recent show, it, it didn't really have that. It, it felt like um, Devin, um, well, it kind of felt like it was Devin and Russ Kennedy sort of just, you know, hey, boys, you know, it's been a while. Let's let's just hang out and chat. And they were kind of hanging out. The host of the show is sort of like off in the corner and then it would occasionally pipe in. Um, and he, but his agenda wasn't really. I don't know, exhilarating in a way. He brought up a few topics that I thought were kind of dumb. And then when, he, when, the, when the drug thing came in, then you had Devin sort of – one thing that I'll criticize Devin for is he does tend to shoot from the hip a little too much sometimes and sort of say things that it's like you don't really know what you're talking about, man. And and or you've been educated on a source, but you've got like one one viewpoint or one source. You don't have a well-rounded knowledge of the topic. Uh, and that, that, that doesn't really re- – not not about skiing. Devin knows a lot about skiing. When he talks about that, he's got he's got a lot of depth he's pulling from. But when he talks about um, drug usage in the sport, I just it, it bothers me when people make blanket statements about either nations or countries or kind of like stuff like that. And it just got a little bit inappropriate, I think, to be honest. Like all of, all of them talking about this athlete uh, and the the accusations and the father and the brother, the siblings that were involved, it just, it felt wrong. Like I wouldn't have wanted my 10 year old to be listening to the podcast with me at the, at that moment. Um, and then also when, <laughs> when Devin talks about stuff like COVID, things like that, um, <clears throat> you could tell that he's, he's listening to one, one side of the story. And, and he, he said this thing to Russ kind of, it was like about Alberta and uh, you guys are kind of the COVID, the vax deniers or whatever. And it's like, Devin, do you know what's going on in your country in Canada right now? Like Canada is ultra crazy locked down. Like they are a little bit insane. Not going to lie. Um, you might, you know, like a, a lot of the people are vaccinated, first of all, and the small contingent that are not are like, you know, reformed pastors of 60 person churches. And they're trying to meet outside and there's like helicopters and policemen arresting them in front of their children. Like that's weird, you know? Like, <laughs> um, and, and this is not me trying to downplay by the way, uh, respectfully COVID's threat. I think if, if you know me, if I were to get sick with almost anything, I'm the type of person that I'm on my back and it's like it's deathbed scenario, no matter what it is. I'm kind of a wuss when it comes to getting sick. I'll, I'll be the first to admit. So if I were to get COVID, I would not be like, who cares? Like, let's go out and, and ski. This is just COVID. I'm going to beat it. Right. I'm not like that. I would respect it and know that it's a risk. OK, but <clears throat> it is bothersome when when in our society we we have a little bit of an irrational fear right now built around it. This isn't meant as a political statement. It's actually kind of one of those, like, if you study sociology and kind of look into these things, people, um, if you, oh, how, how do I set this up? Let, let's look at it. Like, you see people out with masks on all the time, right? Even if, even if they're in their car by themselves, whatever. And what that does to you as an individual is you go, whoa, like, I, I should still be afraid of COVID. Like that's something to be feared. I see these signs everywhere. I see people masking up. I see the warnings everywhere. There's shutdowns, lockdowns, blah, blah, blah. What that does to you is it does tell you that is something to be concerned about, to be feared. 
And whether you want to get political or not, you know, you can. Obviously, there's people on the right saying, see, this is a tool of the left. You know, there's people on the left going, we're just trying to protect you. Right. Um, But regardless of that viewpoint, and I'm not here to say that Devin has one or the other, regardless of that, there's this fear that is now instilled. And I am disappointed by this because here's the thing, listeners, fear. Here's real fear. Here's real fear. You are um, in, you know, small Bavarian city and there are troops boots on the grounds walking around. And you know that if you're discovered in your hiding place that you're going to a death camp, that's fear. Like imagine the community you live in right now, if there were troops from another country that had invaded America and were marching around those streets, would you be scared? I would. I would be scared by that. You know, real fear is being stuck on (laughs) Camp 7 on Mount McKinley um, in the middle of a four-day storm, huddled in an ice cave with four men, pooping in your sleeping bag, having no water, no food, and you know you're going to die. And there's no way out. That's fear. You know, like, and and I think when we've been kind of decent, I don't know if desensitized is the the right word, but we don't, we don't really have an actual fear of COVID. And you know that because let's face it, if there was a 50% death rate for COVID, like one out of every two people who had COVID died, do you really think anyone would have problems shutting down stuff? Of course not. We would be huddled in our basements and we'd be pretty terrified if we knew it was like one out of every two people will die from this. Or, or what if it was like 80% death rate? I mean, like no one would go, oh, freedom, let's get out, you know, and party. Like people wouldn't be doing that. And the proof of that is, remember the first two weeks when no one did know what those numbers were? We locked down for two weeks because we were like, crap, like we don't even know what this is. So I guess tying it all back, Going back to fast career, it bothers me when, you know, you've got people making fun of of um, how certain people are responding to COVID, whether it's the vaccine or whatever, and they just aren't even thinking about cost-benefit ratio, what real fear is, what real risk is, um, and and that was that show for a very brief moment. It did not dominate the show, but it was something I thought of as just like, oh, wow, I wonder if I'm going to have to listen to this all the time. As I watch skiers put on a mask, then take off a mask, then walk five feet, put on a mask, take it off. It's just all for show. It's just kind of weird. Um, and, and it's getting kind of exhausting. So that, that was, that wasn't really my, my big thing on the show that I was like totally bothered by. So hopefully you're still with me here. Um, the other thing is they, they talked about some races that were going on, I believe in Finland and there wasn't a whole lot of analysis coming in that I thought was super like, I don't know, insightful. Um, they didn't, they didn't do enough deep diving. Okay. And again, that's why I don't know if you guys have, uh, I mean, I've read some of Devin's stuff, by the way, it's, I don't, Devin maybe won't even listen to this, probably doesn't, but, um, he's still to me is, is one of the more fascinating people, a great gift to the, uh, North American ski community. And he is, he's a fantastic writer. He's a very good athlete. He thinks, uh, he knows a ton about training physiology. He's got just thousands of anecdotal stories that are hilarious, interesting, um, and, and we want more of that on the show. Like at one point, again, it got to the point where I was like, okay, if my 10 year old was here, I'd be turning this off now. Like this is going nowhere. There was bad language going on that was just kind of pointless. Um, it just wasn't productive. I was, I was disappointed. So they, uh, fast gear needs to get on that a little bit, I think. Um, and, 
and just kind of bring that podcast back to what it is, where you've got Devin there, the expert, ask him the questions that we're all wondering, and then utilize the fact that Devin is fearless. He's not afraid to say what he thinks, and that's great. So again, if some of these disagreements we bring up, it's like, well, wait, you just spent time like talking about how you disagree. Yeah, that's fine. I'm okay having this dialogue. I think that's that's beneficial, but I mean more on the skiing side too. Devin's going to call out something. He's going to say a performance how it is. He's going to you know, yeah, it didn't look like these skis were good. This person messed up. They they dropped the ball here. They did really well here. That sort of thing. That's what we want from Devin. Okay. Okay, top 10. Here's another event. November 21st, Beauty Stolen in Norway. This is the race, right? Like, we got Tavis Johag. We got Heidi Vang. We got um, Haga. We've got tons of Norwegian women just rocking it out on a tough Beauty Stolen course. They had a 10K freestyle, I think, 10K classic. Yohag won both of them. But here's the thing I was thrilled about, deep diving the results, people. Sophia Lockley, seventh place overall in the 10K freestyle. Okay. Now, Yohag won by 35 seconds. The podium was a 45-second range. So Haga was in third, 45 seconds back. And then it kind of goes like 101 back, 120, 122, Lockley at 124 back. So she, she is sort of in that like second group right there, right? Now, all the people in front of her are quite a bit older than her too. Like the, the person closest in age was 10th place, Elena Rees Johnson from Norway. So Lockley's kind of the you know, U23 should be the top finisher for sure. But, but she's really, you know, right, right on the heels of some of these, you know, no top Norwegian skiers. I feel like, um, she's killing it for one thing, uh, two things about that, right? Like the fact that she went up there and did that race to me is more meaningful, even than the, the ones in Finland, you know, to just like, I'm just going to go right into Norway and see where I stand. Um, I think she, was she in the classic result too? I thought she was. Let's see if I can find her here. I'm just clicking through. Lockley, yeah, she did. She got 15th in the classic. Again, top, top North American finisher. There was Catherine Stewart-Jones in the mix as well. So she was behind Lockley in both of those. And, and Stewart-Jones is a good skier as well. So uh, props to them for kind of getting out there and testing themselves in a hotly contested early season Norwegian race. Because kind of every race in Norway right now is a big deal. Um, where, you know, they need to come out swinging a bit, um, showing where their fitness is, you know, Olympics is coming up. So it's not like, and no one really has a free pass except for pretty much, you know, Johan Klabo. So, uh, cool props on them. I just want to give them a shout out. Cause I was shocked that no one mentioned that on the faster skier show, uh, that Lockley, you know, posted these results. Interesting to see. I don't, I there's no start list up for Ruka yet. So can't really say like, you know, deep dive that who's going to place where, but, um, She's someone I'm kind of pumped about. I think the you know up and coming with, with um, Novi McCabe and Lockley. Oh, by the way, University of Utah is like transfer U right now. All these people are transferring to University of Utah. That that school is just loaded right now. I'm trying to think who is the other um, American skier that I'm dropping the ball and not thinking of right now that skis for University of Utah. She was the national champ too. That's bad. Sydney Palmer Ledger. That's right. So Sydney, powerful skier. All those people, that the, the young contingent, the women's team is in good good hands right now. I guess the men's are too. Like, you know, at least we want to believe they are. We want to believe both of them are. Um, it'll be interesting to see kind of how they blossom. Speaking of which, here's kind of my take on um, quick fists coming into this World Cup season on the guys' side. I am pumped like we, like we all are. I do think Schumacher 
he's kind of he has that um, reputation right now. Is he's sort of the the protege, right? He's the young guy. He he's got the World Junior title. Had a had a great rookie campaign in the World Cup. No no qualms there. However, I think we do have to remember like there is a very small window where men are competitive on the World Cup because and the U.S. ski team obviously believes that because they kind of you know once you get to past twenty seven twenty eight it's like yeah well. Yeah, unless you're like the best skiers. Well, even if you're not the best skier, look at Norris. But it, um, anyway, they sort of start to discount you a little bit. They make it harder for you to make the team in some ways, both in the objective criteria and whatever. Um, so if we think Schumacher, like his window is kind of now until he's 25, like that's pretty small. So this year, if he wants to have kind of a sterling career, he needs to make a big jump. Um, and I, I'm not saying like that's going to happen or if he doesn't, he's the worst person in the world. Uh, but I think that pressure probably is kind of there that, you know, we need to come in a little bit more with that Green Bay Packer expectation. Like we expect medals, we expect to win, not so much the Minnesota Vikings side where it's like, I hope we make the playoffs. You know, like I think we as, as fans, uh, sort of breed that culture. And, and that's one thing that's different where over in Scandinavia, the, the Norway, Finland, Sweden, like they are expecting that, that top echelon talent. And so the depth sort of, uh, comes along with that. They've got tons of skiers sort of expecting that. And to just make the Norwegian national team is really, that's all the training you need. You know, like once you make the Norwegian national team, you're like, all right, now I'm going to win gold. Like this was a, this was the, the real training, the real fire. Um, the Olympics is nothing. It's kind of like making the U S men's sprinting team, to be honest, or men's or women's, uh, where the Olympic trials is a hard thing. Like once you make the team, you know you're going to get a medal because you've made the hardest team in the world to make uh, in the hardest circumstance you're going to make, navigating the, the, the toughest pressure that you're going to make. We don't really have that on the American side. There's no real way of having that. So, you know, I think Schumacher's – I don't know what his mindset is right now. It would be interesting to talk to him, but – and he wouldn't, he wouldn't really share this either. But, like, you know, you just kind of ride that high of America loves you. They're thrilled that they've got this young dude. He's kind of up and coming. He had a good season. Um, and sort of being satisfied with that? Or are you sort of thinking in the back of your head, like, all right, this is year two. This has to be my Pat Mahomes breakout season. Like, I, I have to be not satisfied if I'm not in the top 10. Otherwise, you sort of set yourself up for the trajectory of being sort of that middle level again. And, and we need to break out of that. So we need Schumacher to be like a total trailblazer. He needs to pop off a few podium finishes this year he needs to beat some big dogs and um and really put himself in the mix it needs to be a big jump if it's not i do fear for the development of the team as a whole and if it if he does that watch out because the team is close they are united if they see one of their guys go out and do that i think it's gonna like reverberate down on down to the the ben ogden's um shoemaker uh, Jager, Jager, all those guys, like they're going to see that and go, wow, if he can do it, like I can do that too, because I'm with him every day. Um, so we need him to, to do that. It's a lot to ask for a young guy, but I think that's what we need to have happen on the guy's side. And on the girl's side, they've kind of already had that in Jesse. She's sort of done that work. So now I think they are at an advantage where, all right, we've seen it happen on our team. Let's go. And so Sophie, Sydney, Novi, um, all those guys, uh, even, even, the, even the other statesmen, the Rosie Brennan, some of the veterans, uh, Haley Swerble, like those guys, uh, those gals are going to, um, have an advantage where that trail's been blazed. Now they need to go and step up and take the reins from Jesse and sort of say, Hey, we've got the program. It's getting good hands. We're going to keep doing what you do. 
Um, so oh, speaking of Nova, you can hear her in the back. I think she's hungry. I think I'm being called upon to feed my daughter, so. All right, Novi, do you have something to say? What do you want to say? Okay. My best Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. What else? What else? We didn't get to it all, but we will next time. Thanks for joining us on the Cedar Skier Podcast. Get out, keep striving. I'm so glad to be yours. You're a class, all you're running. Ooh, little cutie, when you talk to me, I swear the whole world stops. You're my sweetheart, and I'm so glad that you're mine. You are one of a kind, and you mean me what I mean to you. Cause if I got you, I don't need money, I don't need cars, girl, you're my home. And no, oh, I'm into you, and girl, no one else would do. Cause with every kiss and every hug, you make me fall in love. And now I know I can't be the only one. I bet it's hard to all over the world tonight with the love of hate. Yeah.